Good morning, SABC, and everyone else that's watching online. I'm so thrilled to be able to talk to you today. My name's John Alp. I'm the pastor of the church here, and I've been doing a series on identity in Christ. And today, I want to talk about the fact that we are connectors of people, because that's who Jesus is. And uh, he brings the races together and makes us into one family. And I'm... Um, Speaking from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, you might like to press pause and just go and get a Bible, or you can just listen to me. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, now there's a lot of terms here, so I'm going to explain things, and that means Gentiles uh, means every people from every race, and in the flesh means just living non-Christian, normal, soulish lives who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So there's these terms, and uncircumcision is a derogatory term that the Jews were using to label everyone who was a Gentile, but they were extremely proud of being called circumcised um, because uh, of the reasons I'll explain in a moment. So the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, so he's speaking there to the Gentiles, because he speak, it's, this letter is to Ephesians, but it would go to Italy, and it would go out to Spain, and it would go to Egypt, um, so far off. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, from Gentiles and from Jews, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached to you who were far off, and to those who were near, Gentiles and Jews. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So this is a passage about people being reconciled to each other. And it's actually about different races being reconciled. And becoming like family. And the word reconciled is a biblical word. And it means that once a person was an enemy, and now you're a friend. I mean, we know, all know what that's like from growing up. When we have our friends, and, and we're all close, and then suddenly someone will be on the outer, and they're the enemy, and then they're brought back in again. They're reconciled. And it says that all the enmity, that means hostility, animosity, desire for revenge, desire to control them, to be better than them. It's just gone. And there's a state of peace that comes. 
Now, last week's passage that I was preaching on, I was talking about being reconciled to God, how, how there's a sin barrier between us and God. And, and when we ask for forgiveness, he, Jesus forgives us and we are able to know peace between us and God. Well, this passage today tells us what Jesus did to bring reconciliation between people, but especially he's talking about bringing reconciliation between races of people. Racial reconciliation. I mean, it was a big one then. It's still a big one today. And Paul explains how the biggest separation that there probably ever has been in the world was between Jew and Gentiles. And it was solved by Jesus on the cross. And as I said, Gentiles just means races, um, every other race other than a Jewish uh, race. See, the Jews were up on themselves and down on everybody else. And the key point that I want you to, to keep in the back of your mind as I'm talking today is that if harmony and equality between Jew and Gentile is solved in Christ, then racial problems, racial separations between any races are also solved. You know, history tells us that the Romans found ruling the Jews extremely hard. They'd been conquered, but they were such a determined people. They were such a rule-bound people, and they would dig in over anything to do with their religion. And they would believe certain things even to their death. And so trouble was always brewing in Israel in that time. And that's why there were so many crucifixions that took place uh, in those days. And Jews and Gentiles just didn't mix. There was so much bad feelings. In fact, there was centuries of bad feelings. And even the Bible was saying that uh, things that where they couldn't mix. So to be racially reconciled between Jews and other races was just impossible. It was an unscalable wall between the Jews and everyone else. And yet verse 16 says that on the cross, Jesus brought peace between them. You know, the moment a Jew or a Gentile became a Christian, all the bad blood that they've been feeling towards other races was gone in Christ. And they became people became like brothers and family. And the person who was writing this text that God had used was a man named Saul, who uh, had such a transformation, God actually changed his name to Paul. And Saul was a Pharisee, extremely bright, well-educated, and he was so taken up with keeping the Jewish religion pure. He was wanting to stamp out this Christian thing and certainly stamp out any Gentiles coming into anything Jewish as well. That he put people in prison. There were beatings. There was even at least one death that took place. Yet when he met Christ, when he realized that Jesus was the Messiah, he became probably the most successful missionary taking the gospel to the Gentiles, a Jew doing that. The racial barrier was completely demolished in Paul, just as it can be and is in every other Christian coming to Christ. You see, the cross leveled every person to being equally loved by God, no matter what race we're from. And the gospel invitation then went out to everybody. Amazing. So that means... No people, no race can claim superiority over another race. There are no special supreme people. 
No, there's no race above. Uh, another one means that there's no place for anything to do with white supremacy or white privilege or any other race having special privilege above others. You know, we have cultural differences because that's who we are and it brings diversity, but we are all absolutely equal. And if that's what God wants in his church, it's also what he wants in society. And Jesus is calling for us to work to see all people as equals, where no race is superior. So let's just have a look at this in, in Paul's writings today. If you've got your Bible there, have a look at verse 11 and 12. And basically what he's saying there is dial down. He starts in verse 11 saying, dial down when you're attacked. Because he starts with the word, therefore. And whenever there's a therefore in the text, you have to look to see what it's there for. Because the therefore points you backwards before going forwards. And what's just before that, that word therefore in the, in the previous chapter is Paul's been explaining there's no place for pride in your salvation. You're actually saved by grace. All of us are saved by grace. God did it all. All we did was say yes. So keep cool as you look at this thing of a rift between you and them. And then he goes and he says, look, remember, you've been invited free of charge into all of the history of God working with the Jewish people, the Commonwealth of Israel. And you're going to receive the promise, uh, entry into the promises that they've received as well. But you didn't do anything to earn it. So just stay dialed down. Because the problem is when we're attacked, if we dial up, then pride comes in. So stay humble is what he's saying. Don't get offended, even if they're calling you offensive things. And they were. The Jews were calling the Gentiles, you're the uncircumcision. And it was a cut down. You know, circumcision was something that the Jews were immensely proud of. And it sounds weird me talking about men's bits like this, but, but a Jewish man was immensely proud of the fact that he was circumcised. And this ceremony of circumcision that took place in a boy and on when he was about eight days old um, traces all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, 2,000 years previously. And, and they've been doing it for not just those 2,000 years, they've been doing it right up to today as well. It's, it's something they're very proud of. But this tactic of name-calling other races is very common the world over. You know, over the years, we've all heard people use cut-down names for people of other races, and I'm not going to mention anything, any of them as examples, but there are abusive names for Chinese and Greeks and Maori and Negroes and Germans and Pacific Islanders and Europeans. And, you know, people do it so that they can feel better about themselves, but it's really offensive. But in the Jews' case, it wasn't just name-calling. The Jews felt racially superior to everyone. And this was the cultural context that was completely understood by, by, the whole, by all that Paul was writing to. So he didn't take the time to explain even more. But I want to quote William Barclay, who was one of um, last century's um, great Bible um, theologians. And Barclay says this, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentiles. They said the Gentiles were created by God, now get this, to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's all they were worth. 
And they said, God loves Israel, only Israel, of all the nations that he's made. You know, it wasn't even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. In other words, childbirth. Because that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Can you imagine the hardness and the harshness of a woman who's out where in public and her waters break and she's about to have a baby and she's crying out for help and people just turning the other way and walking away from her. That's the, the hardness of heart that, that was there in, in those days. And if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or vice versa, then the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out because such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. Now, you know, there are cultures and there are uh, religions that would see that happening even today. But it's a terrible thing. What a chasm between the races. Or to say it another way, what a wall of hatred and pride and racial enmity has been built. And in verse 14, that's exactly how Paul describes it. He says there's this massive wall separating Jew and Gentile. But the cool thing is that in Jesus, there's no walls between races. There's no place for walls between races. Jesus demolished the walls. You know, Donald Trump has popularized walls. You know, build that wall, build that wall. And so we're all pretty familiar with these massive walls that get built to keep people apart. And when I was in Israel last year, we, I saw huge walls that had been built. But walls don't solve problems. They just keep people physically apart so they can't attack each other. And you have to ask in those days, how did the Jews get like this? And the answer is that they'd forgotten why God chose them as a race. They were called special. They had a special assignment. But that didn't mean that they were above other peoples. And God wanted to display his goodness to the Jews to attract the Gentiles and entice the Gentiles to want to know him. And they'd forgotten that when God first called Abraham, God said he would be the father of many nations, not just one, but many nations. And they'd forgotten that it had been prophesied that when the Messiah came, he'd be the means of bringing the blessing, God's blessing to all the nations. And so the Jews had actually forgotten God's purpose. If you go back 1,000 years, Abraham was 2,000 years ago from, but before that time, and you go back 1,000 years, you come to the time of Solomon. And Solomon prayed at the opening of the first temple. He said, if a Gentile comes and prays to you at this temple, please hear, his, hear their prayer and answer their prayer. But now the Jews were a mile away from what God had intended. And they'd put signs around the temple that said no foreigner is to enter on penalty of death. And history tells us that the Romans at time gave the Jews permission to be able to kill people, uh, foreigners who, who dared to enter the, the, the temple that was there. Paul himself was um, put in prison because they thought that he had actually um, taken a non-Jew into the temple, but it was a false claim. There was just this wall of hostility and anger and separation and even death. So how did 
Jesus actually break down that wall. Verse 15 says, He abolished the system of relationship with God through law-keeping. Commandments and ordinances is how they put it. He said that period has had its time, it's over, I've actually fulfilled it. And in verse 16, it tells us that on the cross, Jesus took all the enmity, all the hostility, all the hatred, all the racial slurs, all the one-upmanship, and he paid the price for the release from that. And he brought peace. He dealt with the sin of that. Now, you're probably pretty familiar with that as teaching, but have a look again at verse 15. It says he created one new man. Now, don't rush past this phrase. Think about it. He created one new man. He created a new prototype of what it is to be human. Hmm. You know, elsewhere in the Bible, in Corinthians it is, in 1 Corinthians 15, Adam is called the first man and Jesus is called the last Adam. And then the next verse on, he's called the second, Jesus is called the second man. Adam was called the first man, Jesus is the last Adam, and Jesus is the second man. Saying the same thing as what this is here. God created in Jesus one new man, a new prototype. You see, when we become Christians, we're not cleaned up, a cleaned up rebuild of the old model. We're a brand new build. Now, I love old cars, and sometimes you'll see an old car that's been done up, and it's amazing, and it looks absolutely fantastic, but it doesn't drive even like a brand new car today. It's still just the old model done up. That's not us. That's not the picture of what a Christian is. We're a brand new creation. Brand new. And this is the brilliance of Jesus. See, neither Jew nor Gentile wins the race. Neither has to join the other. The Gentiles don't join the Jews when, when we become Christians. We don't become Jewish. And the Jews, but they, the, the Jews keep their, their Jewishness and the Gentiles keep their, Jew, their Gentileness. But the Jews don't have to join the Gentiles either. Jesus says, they're both here, but now I want you to join me in this new creation in Christ. And in fact, the word Christian is a take on Christians. And, and back in the, in the day, shortly after, when, when all of this was taking place in Antioch, the Christians were trying to explain the difference that they weren't Jewish and they weren't their old um, unsaved nature as well. They were Christians. Christians, do you get it? We're Christians. And the people heard this term and they began to mock the, the Christians and call them Christians. Christians. And the, the Christian people said, actually, that's a really good term. And they took it on as, as um, the name that, that this new religion, this new relationship with God would be called. So Christianity is not an extension of Judaism. It's built upon the foundations of Judaism, but both Jew and Gentile are invited to become a new being in Christ. It's brilliant. So Christ took the sinfulness of the Gentiles and he paid for it on the cross. And Jesus Christ took the spiritual arrogance and pride of the Jews, and he paid for that on the cross. And of course, when sin is gone, there's peace. And verses 18 to 22 talk about what it's like then. We become a member of a new global family. 
And no matter what race we are, we're brothers and sisters together with one another. And you can travel the world and you can feel and meet Christians and of different races and you can feel absolutely at home because there's no animosity. There's this new race together. So friends, what are the implications of this for us as today? I think the first one is that churches mustn't hide behind the homogeneous principle. And that's the principle that says it's easier to grow a church when you just gather people like us. Well, it might be easier, but Christ died so that one family can be built. We must determine to become multiracial as a church and open up and embrace each other in our differences because we're Christians together. And secondly, we must work to see equality of all races in the church and in encourage unity and diversity which brings the richness but we must encourage equality as we look and work with one another within the church and thirdly i think we must stand up for those who've been treated as second class in society and in new zealand that means maori and asian especially chinese you know covid19 has brought up many racists the racist element in many people um, there have been many things said in a racist way against Chinese people. And I just love going for walks in the morning. Sandra and I do that. And, and we, we just I love to greet Chinese people with a huge smile. They're often out in a mask because they feel more comfortable like that. And, the, and they've got their head down. And when I greet them and smile warmly at them, I love the warm response back. Because often they're expecting a rebuke. And I just want to say, in, doing, in building reconciliation across races, we must remember that this wonderful ability to lo love other races is a fruit of becoming a follower in Jesus. We can love other people because we have a shared humanity, and that's great. But, you know, let's not stop sharing to seek, seeking to share Jesus with people because he just takes away the animosity when people come to Christ. Taika Waititi has become a famous actor and producer in our nation, and I think all of us as Kiwis are proud to claim him. But recently he said New Zealand is a racist country. And I think it's true. There's still a lot of work to be done in terms of equality. If you are Māori or PI, Pacific Islander, and you're stopped by the police, there's far more likelihood that you will be arrested and charged than if you're Pākehā. Our prison population is over 50% Māori. Something's really wrong in our country. Many of us will be familiar with the term stolen generation when we think about Australia and, and Aboriginal kids that were taken out of their families, a whole generation of it. But what's known, not known widely is that New Zealand has a similar history. From 1950 through to the 1990s, that's, that's our, my lifetime, I was born in the 50s, it's estimated that about 100,000 children were taken from families and uh, they became wards of the state and in institutions up and down this land. And they were mostly Maori. And many times they were taken for what uh, seems like minor or petty reasons. I read of Jimmy McLaughlin, who, who ended up in the notorious chapter of the mongrel mob, was um, taken as a child um, and sent to Owairaka Boys Home and began this institutionalised life.
because the police picked him up for truancy. Tyrone Marks was made a ward of the state at age six. And all of these children, up to 100,000 children, were taken supposedly to make their lives safer and better than being in the whanau where they, where they were born. But the research would indicate the opposite happened. Elizabeth Stanley's book, The Road to Hell, with a subtitle, State Violence Against Children in Post-War New Zealand, is very grim reading. And she tells the stories of 105 children that she has interviewed. The common themes are neglect, beatings, electrocution therapy, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, rape, children being held in solitary confinement, sometimes for weeks, even months. The longest I read about was a child held in solitary confinement for three months. And that's from the staff. And then you have the bullying of the children amongst themselves as well. And then at age 17, when they were no longer wards of the state, they were literally just, with very little education, just pushed out into the streets. And it's then, in the 70s and the 80s, that New Zealand's Maori gang numbers exploded, and the prison statistics also. Now there's a Royal Commission um, looking into this at the moment, but do you notice how devoid of information the media is on this? Why are they not writing about it? There's so much that needs attention for there to be racial equality in New Zealand. So Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus reconciling us with God is the starting point. We get saved. And then on the cross, he did what was needed for the races to be able to be brought together. And when someone becomes a Christian, genuine peace towards people of all races come, comes in, and it happens. You see, our identity becomes in Christ. We're a Christian, a Christian, a Christian. And it's, our identity is not based on our skin color. That's our culture and our diversity and what makes us us. But now we're a new creation in Christ. And as I said, the amazing thing is you can travel to anywhere in the world and get with Christians and feel like you're with family. Because you are. But we live in a broken world where there's lots of opportunity within church and society to work on racial equality. So let me give you something to ponder. I've got three questions. Firstly, do you feel peace between you and God? And if not, what can you do about it? And secondly, have you heard any new things about how Jesus brought racial equality to the planet from my talk this morning? And then thirdly, how are you doing at living that out? And are you inspired for anything new after this morning? Why don't you get on the phone or go and visit friends now that we're in um, level two and we're able to do that and talk through those questions. But before we finish this morning, following Jesus starts with giving your life to him and asking for that forgiveness and finding his peace between God and him. So I've asked a friend of mine to share his story of how he came to know Jesus. So sit back and relax for a little bit more. And here's John Scott sharing his story of how he came to Christ. <laughs> 